Hello and welcome to this episode of The Inspired Attorney. I'm Sharon V. And in this episode, we are speaking with tax attorney Maggie Abno Gomez, who talks to us about why it is so imperative to take time for yourself. She also shares with us why she loves what she does and further emphasizes the importance of giving back and doing the right thing. Hi, Maggie. Thank you for being a part of The Inspired Attorney. Hey, Sharon. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure having you. Can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes. Hi. Uh, so my name is Maggie Abdo Gomez. I'm an attorney here in Miami, Florida. I've been practicing in Dade County for over 30 years. Uh, my practice is mostly uh, devoted to uh, people that have people and companies that have problems with the IRS. So IRS tax litigation, defense. I also do uh, a lot of consumer bankruptcy work and a little bit of uh, estate planning and probate. Very cool. So why did you get into law? Well, it's kind of like a long story. I really um, wanted to be an interpreter, and uh, as I and I was when I was finishing up college, and uh, after college, I was an interpreter. I was very young when I graduated college, and so I saw that it was kind of like I, I was making really good money for the time. It's still good money today, believe it or not. But I saw that it was kind of like a dead end job unless you opened up your own interpreting office. And I guess I just wasn't thinking you know, to the future enough. Uh, but I was doing a lot of legal interpreting and I thought, gosh, I could do that. Um, and so I actually went back to school to decide whether to be an attorney or, a, or get my master's in electrical engineering. And, you know, one person can kind of change your life. And I had a professor who just said something to me about computers that he said, basically, and I'll never forget his words is like, no, computers can't do anything humans can't do. They can't, they can only do it faster. And you have to understand my background. I was a math major and it could literally take me a week to solve a problem. And my question to him was like, could the computer have solved that problem? Some of them were unsolvable for me. And I said, could the computer have solved that problem? And that's when he said, no, computers can't do anything a human can't do. And I thought to myself, well, then what do I need that for? You know? And so um, I was at the same time taking like a paralegal course. And I thought, well, I'll take the LSAT and see what happens. And I did. And I did very, very well. Uh, and so I went to law school. That's awesome. And how did you get into tax law? Okay, so another long story. I hated every minute of every day of law school with a passion. Just hated law school. Every minute of it. Uh, I wanted to quit after the first quarter. Uh, it was so everything different from what I thought. Because, um, again, my background, I was a math major. So everything had answers, right? You worked on a problem and you had answers. And I come to this like, well, it all depends. Like, what the heck is that? You know, <laughs> what is this grayness? There was no answers and it was very difficult for me. Uh, and so in my last year, I took a tax course and the way they taught tax at the University of Florida it was a uh, pattern on NYU, which was the top loss uh, tax program in the nation then and still is now. It, it was based on a problem approach. So basically you were given a, a problem that had an answer 
<laughs> right? It was numbers. It was answers. It was wonderful for me. And so I loved it. I booked the class. Uh, I took a second tax course and now I'm in my last year to see if I really liked it. And I did. And I went into the master's program of tax and the rest is history. That's amazing. By the way, I hated every minute of law school, but I love every minute of being a lawyer. So what do you love about being an attorney? Well, for me, it's like I have the opportunity to help people and I really enjoy that, uh, which is what the interpreting was all about because it gave me an opportunity to help people communicate uh, when they couldn't on their own. Um, so it's all about helping people. And that's what I like. I'm always going against the IRS. So everything I can do for someone to get them out of a problem, to solve their problem, to make it a little bit better than it was when they got to me is a great feeling for me. Beautiful. What inspired you to open your own law firm? All right. So after I graduated, I did work for the IRS uh, district counsel's office. So I was an attorney for the IRS. Uh, at the same time, I was also a special assistant U.S. attorney representing the IRS in bankruptcy court, which is how I developed my bankruptcy knowledge. And um, I was literally sitting at Bayside one day and this guy was sitting next to me and he kept staring at me and staring at me. And I was with my parents and my husband. I'm like, why is this dude like staring at me all the time? And finally, I just looked at him. I said, like, do I know you? And he's like, yeah, you're so-and-so. And I'm like, what? So it turned out it was an attorney that would come to the district counsel's office all the time. He would represent taxpayers. Um, so I had never had a case against him, but he had obviously seen me in the office and knew about me and stuff like that. Because we were, you know, it was a small group of people. Only it was a small bar for the tax practitioners that came uh, against us. So we knew them all. Um, and so he was looking to hire someone and then he offered me the position. It turned out to be almost catastrophic because he was expecting all this work and it didn't turn, turn out to be no work. It was one case going to tax court, um, which I settled. Um, and, and basically, but by, by then I had quit the government and I was with him and no looking back. I just had to go forward and kept on going. And here I am. Here you are. What do you think is one piece of advice you wish you would have gotten when you were starting your firm? I think actually the biggest lesson I would say is that you can't ever take a break from the practice of law. Uh, if you if you do, you're going to set yourself back. Um, and I guess to be not as shy as I was, that I had to uh, portray a strong, stronger and more self-confidence. Uh, I guess that's kind of the biggest thing. I always felt like all these lawyers and all these big firms were so much better than I was. And you'd walk into uh, a conference or something and they'd all be there. And so you'd be like on the outskirts, like not wanting to. And then you start seeing some of their work and you see that it's just a shoddy uh, and not, not in every case, but things that they did completely wrong, completely shoddy. Uh, and you thought, and you, after the course of many years, you start to tell yourself, you know what? They're not that great. They just got a lucky break, but I'm just as good as they are. And then it starts to give you that extra confidence. Uh, but for me, it took years, I guess you could say. 
Yeah. But I think, I think it's huge because I mean, we all have so much value to add. We just need to be able to recognize it. Right. Right. Since you said you can't take a break from the practice of law, how do you manage your life, your practice and everything else? I guess what I meant was like, so I started my firm, but then when I had my kids, I took a break uh, and I was raising kids for many years. And that's what I meant. If you take that break, be prepared to start from the beginning again. So while I've been practicing for 30 years, I haven't been in a, a, active, I guess you could say, in those 30 years. And it was very detrimental. Um, so if you're going to take that any kind of a break like that, be, be prepared to start from the beginning again. Uh, and and that was very detrimental because basically you were going up and then you take a break and then you dip down and have to start all over again um, when the world had changed. As for my personal life, uh, yeah, first of all, I'm not that important. And I think that's something attorneys think that the world revolves around the practice of law and their business. And it does not. The world will keep right on going if you take a day off. Um, so I'm, well, the pandemic has ruined my whole routine, but I start every day at the gym. Um, they they just reopened again today. Yay. <laughs> so hopefully next week I'll be back there. Um, and I think that starts your day, um, energized, de-stressed. All right. Um, I think that's very important. I think we have to take care of our body and our minds. Because if we don't, we can't take care of our business. Um, I think that vacations are important. Uh, again, the pandemic is ruining my vacation. Yeah. But I'm still planning to go, hopefully. Um, I did postpone it till the uh, end of July. So I still got a month for this thing to get cleared up. Um, but I think it's very important. And I see people going like, oh, I, I can't go on vacation. And they take their cell phones and they're calling the office. And you're not really on vacation. You've got to de disconnect. It's very important. The practice of law is very, very stressful. Um, you were my student. I think you remember that I made, I had a whole class session on that uh, topic alone and what attorneys are doing to themselves, the suicide rates, the alcohol rates, the drug rates, the divorce rates, all because they think that they're so important. They can't disconnect. Clients will understand, and I think they'll respect you for it. Um, I think you just have to lay the rules down from the very beginning, and you can do it. It's very important. Take time off. Take time off um, every day a little bit. So I do all the things that I like to do. You know, I read. I listen to music. I watch movies. I do whatever. I, you know, I work out. I talk to friends. Very important. You have to be well-rounded. and that's part of it. It's part of it. And it's very, and a very important part, I think. For sure. They say that, um, you know, when you're in an airplane, you have to put the mask on yourself before you put it on anybody else. So if you can't help yourself, you can't help others. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think everyone will understand, um, being de-stressed makes you perform better, I think. Right. And, and your clients will appreciate that because you'll be in tip top shape mentally and physically. Uh, if you're stressed out, you can't think clearly. You can't act correctly. You'll fly off, you know, and you, you might say something to a client 
or to opposing counsel that could be detrimental to your reputation, uh, to the way your case turns out, it's not good. It's the world will not stop revolving. Just be organized, leave everything in place, start planning for it way ahead of time. And your clients will understand. I start telling my clients months ahead of time, I'm going on vacation and they never bother me while I'm on vacation. They don't call. It's like only new things will, will come in, but everyone else kind of knows that you're on vacation and they respect it, you know? So clients that I've had for, for over a year will say, and where are you going this year? Here because not they already know that this is an important part of me and they're still my clients it doesn't they respect it you know you know they take vacation so why can't we you know that that's all I have to say about that you know it's very important I think that's so important you mentioned something about how you respond in situations it definitely helps when you're de-stressed but how do you handle those moments where something happens and um, you're feeling very passionate about something, how do you manage your response? Well, I guess my practice is a little bit different because my practice is mostly ex-party. You know, I never have to deal with too many opposing counsel uh, because I deal with the IRS and they're not as, I guess, passionate uh, it, it, as like an opposing counsel would be. It's not that they're not there to represent the IRS, but I guess it's a clearer picture of what's, who's right and who's wrong. Uh, and I always try, I have been very fortunate that, that I stay away from the totally dishonest clients. They don't want me. They When they start to see that I'm kind of like going to be above board, they, you know, uh, don't hire me, which is fine with me. I've been doing this for a long time. So I see the same, I end up seeing the same revenue officers, the same revenue agents over the course of the years. You build up a reputation. They know what I'm like to work with. They know that if I say something, they can count on it. Um, I comply, I make my client comply with everything uh, that they request. Um, and in the end, we always get a good result. Uh, so, so th- those kinds of um, responses, you, you're not going to get normally those kinds of situations uh, that you would in a, in a, and I think in a regular practice. We're not sitting there with a jury or a judge and an opposing counsel where you're really pursuing two opposing views. The IRS has to do things right. They can't m- apply the law incorrectly, right? So um, the times where they have, and I have had situations where they have not looked at the law the way I was looking at it. And so we've ended up in tax court. At the end of the day, they lost. They lost and they lost big. Um, and so that, that was it. So we go, we go to court and that's it. Uh, but tax court is very different. It's government, me, and the judge, and that's it. There's no jury. I mean, you bring in your witness, but there's no discovery, so to speak. Everything is uh, exchanged beforehand. If you don't exchange documents, you can't introduce them. It's all stipulated to. It's a it's a more, I guess, amicable um, 
procedure than what you think of when you think of litigation. So there's no depositions. There's really no discovery. It's basically, let's have a conference. Bring me all your documents. I'll give you all our documents. And, and it's over. The IRS doesn't really have documents to give us because all the documents they have are tax returns that the client produced or documents that the client gave. Um, so it's really kind of a, a unique type of process. And so you don't get that, that clash of passion too much than that you would in a real litigation scenario, you know, and I'm passionate about my client. So we're on the same team, right? Um, if the client wants to do something that you know is wrong, then it's my job to show him why it's wrong in a calm way by educating, by showing the client the law, by discussing it with the client. And really in over 30 something years, I, I can't think of a situation where it, it was unsuccessful. My, my approach was unsuccessful. That's awesome. How did you, especially when you're starting out and how do you apply this now, decide when to take on a case and when not to take on a case? Like if you know the person is right for you or not. And did you have situations where you took on clients that you had that gut feeling that it wasn't right, but you still went ahead and did it? You know, I want, so I had, I had a gentleman about three years ago and I felt I shouldn't have taken the case. And, um, he begged me to take the case. So I took the case. And then after a little bit, I knew I shouldn't have taken the case again. <laughs> so we met and I was ready to tell him. And I was telling him, you know, I'm going to step out of the case. And again, he was like, he begged me and he said, yes. You know, and so we, we worked, we worked it out. Uh, you know, we, we talked about it. We talked about why I thought that I needed to, to come out of the case because he wanted to pursue something and I didn't really agree with that. And we were going against the RS. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do it this way, that way. And we said, okay. Um, and so we kept going a little bit more and then it just got to the point where I felt again, you want to do one thing and I don't believe that's the right way. And so I just wrote to him and I said, look, you know, I, we've tried, uh, very civil. I said, we're, we're not, we're not evaluating it the same way. I think it's not in your best interest to continue to have me represent you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I thank you, but you know, I, you know, I think we should, end it here. You can go ahead and continue to do what you're going to do. I'm going to send you what I've already done, which was a task court petition. I said, I'm going to send you what you've already done. What I've already done is you've paid for it and you can file that if you want. Uh, just put your name on it. Not a problem. And I'll be returning the rest of your deposit. And I did. And, and there was no problems because I think the key is we need to talk things out uh, calmly and explain our different positions of why, you know, this is, you can't go on. Uh, so if you feel that you don't want to take on a case because you're getting those alarm bells that this is not the right thing for you. And again, I also teach this to my students. 
don't take on a problem client, it'll be worse off down the road. But if when you're representing that client, for some reason you determine this is really not the right thing for me, I think I would say don't hide from the client, don't insult the client, face, put face on, just just straight up tell the client, look, you know, I think we've reached a situation where I understand your position. I don't agree with it, and I don't think that I can truthfully, fully represent you following what you want me to do, and I think you'd be better off for someone that is more in line with what you want them to do. And I think people are are reasonable, and I think if you're honest with them, they'll appreciate it. You know, I didn't have any problems with him. Um, he cashed his check, and I, I never had a problem after that with, you know, like, he didn't badmouth me. He didn't put in negative reviews. He didn't insult me. He understood because I explained it, you know. Um, and I think that's the way to approach things is like just hit it, just face it head on and be honest without insults, without raising your voice. Uh, treat someone as you would expect to be treated. And I think you'll have a good result at the end of the day. I think that's incredible advice. How did you get into teaching, transitioning a little bit? Okay, so um, John Hernandez, Dean Hernandez at, at St. Thomas, uh, worked with me when I was in the government. So I knew him from, from the government. And one fine day, he called me up and he said, this professor had a stroke. Uh, school starts next week, by the way. This was literally like on a Monday or something. School literally started the following Monday. And he's like, you know, uh, can you teach this class? And again, going back to the lack of self-confidence, something you never really done. I'm like, no, I, I can't do that. It was a debtor-creditor rights class, uh, which, which I knew about uh, because of the bankruptcy and, and because at the beginning of my career, uh, I had had a client on a tax matter that owned uh, a, some business uh, businesses that he had um, a chain of businesses and he would issue his own credit cards. So I was constantly suing on those credit cards because you know, he hired me, you know, he liked me. So he hired me. So I was doing all that collection work for him um, until he sold the company. So I, I knew more or less the law. And so he, I was like, not confident. He says, you can do it. Stop, stop not having self-confidence. He's a good friend of mine. And so he says, just send your resume. And I said, okay. So I sent the resume and the school looked at it. They thought it was a great resume, the, the board, whoever it was. And on like Friday, I was hired. I waited all week. And like Friday, they hired me to start class on Monday. Um, this professor had no textbook, no syllabus, nothing. And I, and I just, just landed in their feet first and uh, the rest is history, you know, and it's something I'm also very passionate about. I do ended up loving it. Uh, that first, that first summer, I really missed the students and missed going to school. Now I've gotten a little bit over it, but yes, it's when you get those breaks, you do miss them a little bit unless it's a really bad class. And I've had only a few of those where I don't want to go back. I don't miss them at all. But most of the time, I, I do miss them. I do enjoy uh, teaching them. I do enjoy staying in touch with them, such as yourself. Um, I do enjoy it when they call me and let me know they passed the bar uh, or when they're setting up their practice and ask me for advice because um, 
I'm here to help them. What advice would you give yourself going back to law school and also those who are in law school right now are thinking about going to law school? I'd say that practicing law should not be a job. If you get up every day and you're saying, oh my God, I hate, you're not doing what you love. I, I could work all day, every day. I could work 10 hours a day and I'm still loving what I do every day. That's why I told you I hated every minute of law school. But I love every minute of what I do. And if you don't have that joy, then it's just a job. Uh, and if you and it's okay not to have that joy in law school because I said I did hate law school, but it, I see so many young people and I'm not sure why they're in law school to begin with. I teach them and I really scratch my head. Uh, and then I see them posting things on Facebook about how dread it is and like. Really, if it's such a dreadful situation every single day, then you're in the wrong profession. It shouldn't be that. So regroup and rethink, what are you doing wrong? Is it you? Is it the clients that you're taking? Is it the type of law that you're practicing? Because something is not right there. You should really like what you're doing. I mean, that's why you chose it to be your profession, your career. Um, so I would say to that, think very carefully about what you're doing. Um, don't do things just because your parents want you to do it. Your professors say this is a good fit for you. Your peers think this is what you should be doing. Society tells you what, this is what you should be doing. Do it because you can see yourself doing it. Uh, remember when I went to law school, it was because I had seen lawyers in action. And I said to myself, I could do that. I said, law school had nothing to do with the, I could do that portion. Right. I liked what I saw. I didn't like law school because of that whole math, math thing and that grayness, you know, which if anyone has ever been my student, they know I tell them from the first day, I don't see gray. Everything to me is black and white. You know, the, why can you not see that? That's what the law says. It's, it's a hindrance in a way, but that's how my mind thinks. But I've not done badly, you know, in my cases. So, uh, but I would say that to, to someone that, you have to have a passion. It can't be just a job. You're going to be doing it a long time. And part of it should be to give back. Um, you've been put in a special place. And there are so many people, and I get very emotional about it. And my students know because I start to cry about it in class. But there are so many people in need. And it takes so very little to help them. And you've been given so much. Give back. So true. Because it really just, we're, we're, as attorneys, we are in such a unique position to help people because we have the voice, we have the knowledge, um, we have the special skills, and it really doesn't take much. Even just having a simple conversation with someone can make such an impact. Exactly. Yeah, I, I talk to people all the time and, and I do my pro bono and um, sometimes it's very rewarding uh, because you are helping these people through a very difficult situation and they're at a complete loss. They're just at a complete loss and you're that beacon for them, you know, and you might turn their whole life around. You don't know. Um, and like I, I'm representing 
um, I have five pro bono cases right now. And so one of the guys, he's a young guy and he, he wrote to me and he's like, you know, um, you're such an inspiration. He goes, it makes me want to give back and pay it forward. And that's what I always tell people. Like, you know, I've helped you pay it forward, help somebody else. There's always somebody worse than us, no matter what, where we are and who we are. Even those that you helped can help others. And uh, I think that's a great thing. So it's a beautiful chain to, to create. Do you have any wishes for your colleagues or feedback for your colleagues? Practice ethically and honestly. Um, be kind to opposing counsel and to the court system and to your clients. Um, and to opposing parties, uh, because what we are seeking is justice, not just to win. And sometimes we're not on the winning side. Um, I think you should strive to do the right thing. How do you handle those moments where um, you have suffered a defeat? I'm lucky to say I hardly ever have. <laughs> um, because, because I feel that even if I, if it's a losing position, um, if, a, if it's a losing position, the whole case is probably not a losing position, right? So when a client comes to you, they're in a far worse shape than when they leave, even if it's just a little bit. Um, so maybe, for example, they might owe the IRS the money, and maybe it's a lot of money. Um, and maybe there's nothing you can do because they truly owe the money. Um, so you didn't do anything in the sense that I didn't get, they still owe the money. But if even if it's something as simple as putting it on a payment plan, it's better than having their wages garnished because the IRS is very powerful in the things that they can take. So I still see it as a win because I put them in an, in an organized way to to confront that. Okay, so I didn't get anything taken off but at least i know that they're they're not going to have to worry that their wages are garnished that the car is taken that their house is taken or, or anything like that so even in the worst scenarios you still have something um and and if there's nothing you can do then i just basically tell a client from the get-go you know like listen, there's really nothing I could do in your case. And I think that's something that lots of attorneys just to make a fee aren't upfront about. And I tell a client, look, you know, there's, there's nothing I can do for you here. You owe the money. What do you, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that you'd like for me to accomplish for you? And I think that if you get them to refocus and, and realize there's nothing that they can, that can be done again, they're going to appreciate you because you didn't take all this money and and get, ended up giving them no result. You're, I'm right back where I was. So you have to be honest with your client. And it isn't just about your pocket. Uh, and I guess maybe that's why I'm a poor attorney, but I don't care because I'm, I'm okay with it. I'd rather help people. That's what I'm about, you know, um, because that's that client, what they don't understand is that client saw that you were honest and treated them fairly, and they're going to bend over backwards to send business your way. So maybe they won't produce a good fee, but the person they send down the road will. And that's what they they don't 
you know, they miss the forest for the trees. They're only looking at, at a short-term thing. And especially for those starting their own firm or being in their own firm, you have to look at the long, the long play, the down the road, you know, like the quarterback. You have to not just look at the receiver right there, but the one way down, down at the end zone, because that might be the solution, you know, um, and you have to think about that. And, and I just go back to help people. If you help people, it will pay dividends uh, and do the right thing. I'm telling you, it's going to pay off, I think. I think those are some incredible words. Do you have, as uh, we start to close this out, do you have any wishes or hopes for the future of the practice of law? Well, I hope that we could see true justice for everyone. And I'll leave it at that because then we would get more political and, and just, you know, help the little people. Beautiful, Maggie. Thank you so much for giving your feedback and insights and being a part of the Inspired Attorney. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys on the next episode.